Welcome to the Encouragement to Go podcast, where we share good news, great laughs, and real life stories to encourage you as you face life today. And so much more. Welcome to Encouragement to Go, episode number seven. Today I'm joined by my good friend and brother in the, as a pastor, Caleb Reynolds, and I have an introduction before he even gets to start here. Caleb um, is another pastor. I'm a Baptist pastor, and he's a Nazarene pastor. And in Scripture, it talks about how the Baptist guy always prepared the way for the Nazarene. So how I open this is nowhere close to what he deserves, um, kind of like John preparing the way for Jesus. Um, I have shaved lately, so I don't have I don't have camel hair on today, and I don't eat locusts. But introducing my good friend Caleb. Uh, Caleb, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, so Caleb is one of five or six pastors. We can't even keep track. It kind of goes in and out of the pavilion ministries. We're based here in North Vernon, and uh, we've tried to do a lot for the community. Matter of fact, when I first met Caleb, it was at a, a diner somewhere, and it was an important interview that I didn't even know was important. So I was like, yeah, you should check out this group, because I loved helping out the community, but not being from this area, I had no clue where to start. My wife's a school teacher and everything, and we were like, I want to be there helping, but I don't know where to start. So I don't even remember what restaurant it was, but these group of guys, um, I thought it was going to be real like serious, and they were going to say some pretty monumental, life-changing things in this meeting. Uh, truth be told, we ate great food, and we laughed a lot, and apparently that was their qualification to allowing someone else in there. I think that's kind of the how it got started. We could do worse if that was the, the qualifications for joining a group. Yeah, and... So what the overall goal, I guess, purpose of the Pavilion Church is, um, kind of give us a summary of that in general. Yeah, so it's a, it's a collection of churches in Jennings County, and the, uh, the pastors that have got together in the beginning of it, it was uh, taking a look at the needs in our county, especially Country Squire Lakes, in the, the different levels of need, and saying there is too much for one congregation to just take on by itself. And so trying to find some like-minded pastors and find some like-minded churches in addressing those kind of needs, which I think we have a gospel mandate to do. Yeah, and I know one thing is we can't invite every church pastor in only because, as we know, the more people you have, the more opinions. And everybody's opinion is great, but you have to be able to work within a certain set of opinions and uh, the great part about us is we are different churches. Not only that, we're different denominations, which brings a whole other amazing part to the puzzle. And even just reading this morning, I was reading in Ephesians 4, and, and it says, Paul's talking to him about the unity of the body of Christ, and he says how you do it in verse 2, always be humble and gentle. And although we joke and, and we have fun, we do our best to be humble and gentle with each other, and even better, it says be patient with each other. Wow, that can get tested at times. Um, yeah. And I have no doubt that they've had to be patient with me. Uh, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And make up, 
Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. And, you know, this is, it's an amazing thing because growing up, I've seen other denominations as either crazy or false or I wasn't raised properly on them. And I'm, I think I'm fair to say that. And um, if you look at the spectrum of what we have, we have uh, Baptist, Nazarene, Wesleyan, um, Trinity Full Gospel, which is Pentecostal, Pentecostal. and... Um, Christway Christian, yeah. which is a independent... Yeah. Independent and, Christian. And a jail minister, basically. Yeah. And, uh, and so across those lines, there's, you know, growing up, we were, we were kind of kind of shy away from the different ones. And I'm, I'm thinking, I, am, I praise God for the people in my life who I have developed friends in ministry. And I always talk about, you can see the people on the front lines. They're usually a mix of a lot of different churches. And when we do, we talked about last time, the Good News Club. If we do, you have all different denominations, and it takes all of them to come yeah. together. And when we do events of all the churches, it's one of the most exciting things for me. And uh, when we celebrate, we'll talk about the Potter's House here in a minute, but when we get together and we're going to do a revival here in two or three weeks. weeks. Wow. It's, it's something refreshing about seeing people around your community that they don't go to your church. They're not even your denomination, but they're there for the same purpose, and they praise God together. And I want to encourage you today, whoever's listening, if you've had a, a grudge against another denomination, maybe you should go hang out with a couple of them and, and worship God together or, or just sit down and listen and, and talk to them. Because in our group, there's areas that we cover and there's areas that we don't talk about. It's not because we're scared, because we have a good enough relationship. We've been together as a group for over two years. I think we trust each other fully enough that we can have those conversations. But there's not a there's not a need to argue about the way we do things different. Um, there's just, and I think we're actually dividing ourselves when we do so. But the unity of Christ, a uh, matter of fact, Jesus tells them, you'll prove to the world you're my disciples by your love for one another. And that's what we're really missing today. Uh, what have you seen in the community of, of unity? And you work with you know, United Way and different things. How have you seen it all come together for God's glory? Well, one of the things that we have done as pastors is the uh, ministry in at the the factory floor, Decatur Plastics, walking the floor, ministering to the employees, and we'll have folks come to us and identify that they belong to one of the churches, uh, some of them that don't belong to any church, but the conversation I found often comes into, I grew up in this kind of a church, and that doesn't have to close the door that actually can be an opening. And so somebody that I'd visited was talking about the kind of church they grew up in and how different it was from what he knew of Nazarenes, and, and he was right. But then for me to be able to say, I have a, I know a pastor from your tradition that, um, that not even necessarily in our group, and I, I have very high regard for them, and it would be worth checking out. That's not at all what people would expect to hear. They would expect a pastor to be moving heaven and earth to get you into my church's doors instead of get you into a church's doors. Yeah, and 
that's the way I look at things too. We have the opportunity, and this can happen in more communities. And if you're from a different area than ours, um, I would encourage you to really try to get this going too. A factor that let us go in for years now, and this is kind of how what the group started doing before I even came. They were going in to cater plastic products. They were um, just had the ability to do that. And this is a big factory here in North Vernon, and the leadership and everything. Then they they switched owners, and then the new owner. Um, we'll talk about in a little bit, really supported us. But we get the opportunity. Even yesterday, I sat down with the plant manager of, of the plant that I walked through and, and another uh, pastor and just talked about how we can help the people on the floor. And it isn't, we're there to listen as well. They don't always ask, talk to us about godly, like they want to be saved. Or they want to, it's, it's a lot of times just life. Yep. And they just want someone to listen and care about them. And it has been a huge, um, as the guy said yesterday, he's been a lot, part of a many factories and organizations, never seen one that cared about their people to this amount where they let us come in, take them off the line for a couple of minutes and talk to them if they need it. And, and we hear some pretty serious stuff. We hear some very lighthearted stuff, but very serious stuff. And um, I praise God just to see the results and the fruit from that. Um, maybe I will, most of the time, I never see them come to Zenus Baptist Church, but oftentimes they are excited to tell me, hey, I went to church this weekend, and then I get to ask them, where'd you go? And then we get to talk about it, and that's how we all work together. Uh, when it talks about the body of Christ, I always tease, I don't care if I'm the little toes toenail, like as long as I'm part of the body. I don't have to be the mouth, I don't have to be the hands, I don't have to be, I can be the littlest part, but I just want to be a part I think when we have that, we're humble and patient with one another. It's just an oper- awesome opportunity. People are like, you really go to the factories? And, and they, and we're like, yeah, we go to their company picnics and gatherings. Their leadership and ownership really care about us. And we know they, or they know that we care about them. And we work together, which I've never seen anything like it either. Um, yeah, it's really special. And, and to get to do that and... We get to go into Layman's uh, Fabrication. I go in there every week, and uh, my good friend Kyle owns it uh, with uh, his mom and dad and, and wife. And it's just been an awesome opportunity over there as well. And it's the little things. We talk about living as a Christian every day. Nobody would have probably think that something we do as a pastor is we go to a factory, put on the safety glasses, put on our visitor tag, and walk around the floor and just talk to people. Um, smile at them at worst case um we're not in suits and ties or i'm not i don't think you are either. no no not in the factory for sure do you have any story that sticks out um that, oh yeah that you wouldn't have to yeah, yeah. there was there was a, a person at the factory that um over a period of months every time that i went in um would she would cut a beeline across to share about a a long-term struggle that in her family that had become more intense in the recent days and just week by week would get an update and and I would listen and then she would get done telling her story and it would kind of go silent and then I would ask would it be okay if I prayed for you and she would always look up and say that's why I came over here and so we would pray just right there on the factory floor in front of God and management and the employees and everything. And, and then she would head back over and, and ramp things back up in what she was doing. And there's a, 
there's a sense in which life can be pretty heavy and having somebody that is there to listen to the concerns of your life personally and then uh, pray a prayer that's not it's not complicated just God you hear all of this and we need your help and we're going to trust in your help and you know thank you for the promise that you're with us that's it it's it's really not rocket science it's just showing up and being there for people yeah and on a weekly basis the consistency is, I think is a big deal yeah because they people at, I know at layman's and sometimes I'm I'm not as like quite as consistent on a perfect day over at DPP but I do try to go once a week but they know kind of which day I'm going I've had people say well I wasn't I was really pretty sick this morning but I knew you were coming in and I really need to talk to you about something and so they'll they'll talk to me and, and matter of fact we've had just a lot of good fruit come out of it and about other churches we have a a young man that that's that's at the fabrication place that he goes to one of my friend's churches over in Versailles and he uh, attends uh, Zenith every once in a while just because I get to encourage him every week to be more involved in his church and we get to talk about what his pastor said and we get to grow together and I'm never trying to take him matter of fact he came to to Zenith and he wore his home church t-shirt nice to, to Zenith and I said Hey, nice shirt. He goes, yeah, I didn't want anybody to try to recruit me. <laughs> and uh, and he, just, he just smiles real big because that's the kind of relationship we have. But, you know, that's the great part. We, to go to different churches and, and we um, get to be a part of each other's lives and encourage each other along. Um, to talk about the next, and probably it's been our time-consuming ministry for a good while now, and it's been well worth it, has been the Potter's House. And the Potter's House is... A place that, you know, when I came on, they've had, Caleb, I think maybe you and Kent kind of had some, maybe some others had some dreams of a recovery house in North Vernon. Tell us kind of how that all kind of started, or I know. Yeah, yeah. But we, we had a recovery house um, that closed down about two years prior to the Potter's House opening. And, and that house was run by an individual, and, and he attended church here, his family. Uh, parents came, and uh, he... I cannot imagine how much work it was, but there were um, a, maybe about a dozen guys in his house, and he he oversaw the payments and stuff, and they had to work. And um, anyway, we we really felt this loss when the house closed, because one of the greatest needs is housing, and, and also um, employment, and also friendships, and. Uh, one of the things that we experienced in our church is we had an, uh, a lady in the congregation that took a, a real liking to these guys, and she kind of became a grandmother of the house. She would bring food over every Wednesday. She lives in Versailles, so she's coming from out of town, and she would bring massive amounts of food, sit it down there for the guys, and then she would look around the room, and she would point at each of them and say, it's been a while since I've seen some of you in church. Now, I'm going to bring food next Wednesday, but I'm not taking any orders tonight. You can put your orders in Sunday when you come to church. And these guys absolutely loved her. And they would hug her, and, and uh, she'd come out to the car, and, and her husband would say, well, that's, that looks like more hugs than you've got from me in the last week. And she said, well, whose problem is that? And it was this, it was this wonderful, like, teasing. So when the house quit we, we had seen in our own congregation there is this sense of we want to be a support in the ways that we know how 
And so we were praying for another house to open with the, the idea that once another house opens, the churches are going to be the best partners that they will find in the county because we will advocate, we will bring food, and we will bring encouragement. But somebody else has got to do it because we don't know what we're doing. And then at one of our revival community revival services, um, we had a man come to the service, and he was there every night. And uh, Tom Long, our jail minister, knew him from jail church. He'd been recently released from uh, the Jennings County lockup. And the guy was there every night, helped set up chairs at the beginning, helped tear down chairs at the end. And, you know, so we kind of got to know him a little bit, asking him how he's doing, doing great. He's working a full-time job. He's applied for a second full-time job. So we were asking him, so, so where are you living and all this? Ah, oh, he said, don't worry. He said, um, when, uh, uh, when I got out of jail, I found uh, an empty house. And so I've been holed up in this abandoned house, and don't worry about my housing, I'm, I'm doing just fine. It was a couple of days after that that one of our North Vernon Police Department officers showed up at the Wesleyan Church Parsonage, where um, Pastor Kent Stroud lives, knocked on the door, and he led the conversation off with, so I've got a guy living in an abandoned house. Well, we know who this guy is. He said, "All the only option I have as law enforcement is taking him back to jail. I know he's working lots of hours. I know he's trying to do right. That's the only option I have. We know you're a part of a, a collection of churches doing work in the community. If you don't have an option for this guy, then I'm going to have to take him back to jail. And that's how we kind of discerned through this praying process. The Holy Spirit is kind of putting this back in our lap. There's, there's nobody coming to do this for us. And from there, the resources really fell into place of the provision of the house and in the personnel and the staffing. And that was a real pivotal moment and found in the Potter's house. Yeah, and because it's multiple churches come together, we don't always have the resources at, at one church to be able to pull stuff like this off. Matter of fact, the awesome part about God is it didn't come from any churches. It came from an outside source and that we would have never expected. And uh, we're just thankful to have, and one of our stipulations was we didn't want to open the house unless it was paid for because if someone messes up, we didn't want to have to be felt, well, we have to keep them anyways because we need their payment. We didn't want to make anything about money. So we were able to, um, we talked to a, a man and he was just amazing and said, well, I love this idea. I'll even... I'll take care of it. And so we were thankful and we started there. Is there, was there uh, something about this guy where that was living in an abandoned house? Wasn't it something about, could he sleep in a a van or something? Yeah. They pulled a van out into the, the Wesleyan church's parking lot, which also wasn't strictly according to city codes, but they said we can, the law enforcement said we can live with that because he's not imposing on someone else's property. You know, he's there and we will we'll agree to not arrest him for living in the van by the by the church and i think he stayed for about three weeks and then um i think he was out of town or something after that but his story in our encounter with him the fact that we were really invested just as a friend we want good things for him okay so we need a place even if he's not going to benefit directly we want a place for people like him because there's a lot of those kind of guys um, that need this kind of resource. 
It's amazing that God can use a person like that that you don't know. He may even be here for a short time just for God to show you something that maybe you haven't seen yet. Yep. And it's amazing that he used a police officer that had the guts to come knock on a preacher's door, which just for the record, maybe don't knock on our doors, but we need to be, <laughs> I would say that we probably would love to be called for real help more before it gets into the worst situations. I know when people meet with me, it's usually already over. Um, they've mm-hmm. already made their decision or the spouse or whatever. Very rarely is it beginning stage, hey, we need help to grow in this area. Mm-hmm. And so I'd encourage, <laughs> please come when there's, uh, you know you can't handle it on your own. Uh, maybe you, you can talk to another spiritual guidance for sure, but if you need help towards the beginning is even better. Um, don't think you're bothering us. That's a, a wrong assumption. Well, they have b- better things to do, or yeah. they have a whole church of people. We're just bothering them, and and then you let it get too far, and then it's it's tough. And I I run into that often, and it breaks my heart because I guess I'm putting off a vibe that I don't have time for them without well, trying to. And uh, I, we were talking before we started recording. We we have a a ministry up in Indianapolis, uh, a Nazarene ministry, Shepherd Community Center. And they, within a lot, probably a year, year and a half ago, uh, brought on staff a officer from the Indianapolis Metro Police Department, and then Eskenazi Hospital donated a paramedic. They're paying a salary. He works for Shepherd, and so this officer and medic um, ride around the city, especially the the zip code, the neighborhood that 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 organization is serving. And they do whatever, whatever other officer does. They, they chase the radio, but because they're on the payroll of Shepard, they can stay longer and they can make a follow-up visit. Most of the time they said our work is, the work of a police officer is just the Band-Aid work. But we get to go back afterwards and, and ask the questions of, okay, so what, what else is going on here? And their, their, their sense is, that the root of most of those frequent flyers to of 911 callers for police or for fire or for ambulance, the root cause of that is loneliness. They said there was a lady up there in Indy who she called 911 as a resource to get groceries from her car into her house. And she knew the three shifts and she knew that one or two of the shifts, she didn't like the guys on the shift. So she knew which days she couldn't go get groceries or she'd have to look those guys in the eye. Uh, so she'd get groceries, she'd get them back to the house, and then she calls 911, which then they dispatch a, um, a fire engine out to her house. The guys come in, unload the groceries, take them indoors. If it happens to not be a busy day, they'll help her unload the groceries into her cabinets. Well, that's real money of dispatch and all that. And they said, you know, her root is loneliness that she doesn't have friends or family. And they said, so we look at it and, and they're asking the question, how do we tie these needs in with the resources of our local church? How many retired men and women do any of our local churches have that if we knew of somebody that needed help getting groceries from the car to the house and maybe from the counter to the refrigerator, would have a half hour, 45 minutes to do it, to just show human kindness and decency in that, that, uh, in that line of caring. And what they've said is, um, first of all, 
that this is not unique to their neighborhood. And I've talked to some first responders here in Jennings. If you ask them the question, who are your frequent flyer 911 callers, they know them off the top of their head. It's not, it's not complicated. Um, the second thing is that the root of most of those is loneliness, that they're disconnected from social networks of family and friends. Um, that also, from the conversations I've had, seems pretty similar here too. And the third is that, um, in the words of that police officer up there in Indy, that um, police work, when done well, looks an awful lot like church work because you're responding to deep crises and deep layered needs in people's life. And if, if you look at the church the way I think the Lord intended it, that's what we're supposed to be about too. That's really interesting. Last podcast, I had a young pharmacist on here and he was wondering like, what it looks like to serve. And I said, well, pharmacists are frontline workers for sure. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> In so many areas, and and the more I think about the police officer, the medic, the pharmacist, you could go with teachers, you could go with the the people at the factory. I mean, you know, it's was, it was cool. I got to go even a couple of weeks ago. I, I talked to a lady, and she was just just kind of always quiet. But I started to dig a little deeper, and she was she started talking about her family, and you could tell she was kind of lighting up. But also, she was tired. She works hard. She takes care of a of a big family, and it was really cool because. Um, I, she wasn't on the shift the other day, and I was like a little concerned because she has some health issues too at times. And I asked the guy, I said, "Where's you know this lady?" And she, he said, "Oh, I've promoted her to su- shift supervisor on another oh, shift." Oh wow! And it was so encouraging because she had no clue. I don't think she applied, but you know, it's that she stuck through it, and you know, she didn't complain. And when I heard her story, she goes through way harder things. In, in one hour of a day than I do all day. I'm in my hardest days. And I, I like to complain. Um, I'm just a human being that's like anybody else. But then I hear stories like hers. and But I also get to celebrate. I can't wait to go in and, on that shift and, and say, man, that's awesome. Congratulations. Like, so cool how things turn around. But we all are in this together. And I think that's what he's talking about, the unity of the body of Christ. He doesn't mean church names um, necessarily. He, we can be part of churches but how we all work together. And I know, really, people are shocked when we say, well, we work with schools. We try to help them out. We work with, they can call us. Yep. Matter of fact, there was a problem, some issues at the high school not long ago, and they, they called us pastors in, one of the first calls. Um, That's pretty amazing. Just stuff that we get to do that everybody wants to separate everything. We're all about divisions now. Separate church and state is one of them that everybody says, well, how can you do that? And honestly, there's probably some legal areas that there may be some times that'd be questionable. Sure. But most of the times, if there's open doors, I think in your life, whoever's listening, if there's an open door, it's been opened up that you're like, well, that doesn't make sense, but that's a pretty cool opportunity. That's pretty much how we work as pastors. Yeah. It doesn't make sense, but that's a cool opportunity. Yeah. And one of our um, Nazarene College presidents, when he was a pastor, he was sharing in a in a recording that was meant for encouragement um, around New Year's time. He said uh, in the places that he served around New Year's, he would um, stop in and see his local mayor. He would stop in and see his local chief of police. He would stop in at some of the key um, business uh, businesses in the area and ask for the, ask for the boss, ask for the manager, ask for the chief. 
for if he said just can I have five minutes of your time and his question was as this new year starts how can I pray for you and he said nobody is upset with that visit it doesn't matter church state whatever we're, we're not here to push boundaries we're not here to give offense but um, I found very few people in my life that if you ask them how can I pray for you I found very few to ever give any sense of being offended but they're they're grateful that you would care enough to take the time to represent that kind of need to the Lord, even if they don't particularly buy your brand of Christianity or are interested in Christianity or in a different faith tradition. Um, folks just don't turn down prayer, and that's probably an opportunity we don't take enough as Christians, putting the Lord on the line, asking people, how can we pray for you? What do you need God to do for you today? Wow. Without you probably listening to any of the other podcasts, that's what we talk about is, God, what do you want us to do today? Um, being bold enough to pray with others. Um, we see it as something that people will backlash, like you said. We're kind of scared. We don't have the courage to go up. and um, People want someone to listen to them. I don't care what group you're a part of. Um, any of your choices that you make, you want someone to listen to you. And, you know, going from 911 callers to being that desperate to call 911 just to have someone to listen to them, this whole quarantine and the, you know, distancing ourselves from each other, we're more in desperation now than ever to have someone to just look in you in the eye and smile and say, hey, I just thought about you today or how can I pray for you or or whatever else. We, we make ministry so hard sometimes. Right. And I don't, I don't know that it was intended to be as complicated as we've made it out to be. Well, in their unity talks, I'm amazed by just thinking about how the disciples, when they came together, you know, you had a bunch of fishermen. We know that much. Mm-hmm. But then you had the tax collector. And I'm always reminded, and I, I didn't really know this until I watched the Chosen series the other day about how much they would have hated the tax collector. And for Jesus to say, yeah, you're joining us, man, that must have just rubbed their britches the wrong way. Well, the tax collector and then the zealot, who Ooh. were, they were guerrilla fighters. They were the ones that would sneak around after dark to cut the throats of the tax collectors. And Jesus sought both of those guys out. Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot, and Jesus chose them both. And we don't have, um, we don't have categories in our current American experience. But I heard a guy say, these guys, if you looked at Rush Limbaugh and Hillary Clinton, they are closer to one another than Simon the zealot and and um, Matthew the tax collector would have been politically in their time. And so the fact that it would be challenging for us to imagine somebody of a different political affiliation being on Jesus's side as a disciple, well, that's kind of crazy. We didn't get that from the Bible because we didn't get it from Jesus. So when we have a hard time working with each other because they have different personalities, you know, we all do. Um, There are different denominations. There are different churches. I have never in my life thought about that whole zealot and the tax collector. I thought about the other people just not liking tax collectors, but I never thought about the zealot's job was to put them in the ground. Wow. And it and it was not it was it was not pretty. There was there was raw raw um blood and guts hatred of these folks. And yeah, they're they're both disciples. Something had to be amazing power of unification there 
um, same thing that has that same power today. It's Jesus. And without him, probably don't expect to work together well with others. Um, if you don't have that commonality, very few times have I found people, and they are out there, I'm sure there's, there's times, but that's, that's, that's a miracle in itself that those two were able to work together. Not only were they unified, um, pre-Jesus dying and, and raising from the dead, yeah, they probably were a rough crew and they probably fought a lot. But afterwards, it's amazing what the disciples were able to accomplish. Still amazing to this day in 2020, we're talking now in the open air because of the disciples and the work they did of spreading the Gospels, because they were willing to go to the ends of the earth. And I think that's, to me, and this is my favorite topic, I'm, this is what I'm most passionate about, and my church probably knows this because this is pretty much what I tell them every week. Don't expect to spread the gospel if you're not unified with one another. And it probably isn't going to happen if we're not. And we're coming into the world today the way it's looking, and, you know, God can do even greater things, which that's what we forget out of all the fear and chaos. Mm -hmm. This gives the light an opportunity to shine brighter. This is an opportunity for us all to come together because we will not care about what denomination we are, but we'll care about fighting against the real enemy, which is no person, it's no political party. It's, it's the enemy. It's the enemy that comes after us, and the spiritual warfare that goes on can only be fought through unified spirits. And that's what I love about our, I guess, our group. Um, we don't try to be a closed group, but we are a group that, you know, have to stick together. We have to be unified, and, you know, there's always some, some troubling times there because we're all so different. But we're of all ages. I mean, I think I'm the youngest at 35. Tom's older than me by quite a few years. A little bit. And everybody else is in between. But and with all the different backgrounds, all the different ages, we're able to love on these guys in the Potter's House. We're able to love on our community. You know, people can't wait to uh, see what's going to happen next. We don't know. But I think for our listeners to be reminded of, this is after – the potter's house, the work going in factories, the schools, that all comes after our normal taking care of our, our churches that we are called to minister to. Correct. And sometimes I have a hard time getting that alignment. I think um, sometimes I may neglect one area of life for another. So I have the church that God called me to, to lead. I have the pavilion group that's been awesome that is probably – more of a passion, joy, outreach to take care of your people inside. But then we have our families. Mm -hmm. My biggest thing that I want to get right out of the three has to be my family. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, we can get in trouble. Since you've been in ministry a couple more years than me, how, <laughs> I guess what's your best suggestion? Kayla's maybe barely older oh, than me, man. but what's your best suggestion on those three areas, kind of how you work them out but how even anybody if you're not in ministry it's it's fine how do you keep your family as the forefront or is that just that's hard to do yeah um i i can't answer that as somebody that's got the answer but i'll, I'll tell you though there there have been times where um in my own ministry i looked at the life of the church and my role in the church as pastor and thought to myself, I could really grow this church if I was not pastoring it. 
in, in our, when my wife and I were dating and in our seminary studies, we were heart deep in the work of the church and picking up kids for church and leading Bible school and teaching Sunday school, like all kinds of just day-to-day life of the church, leading music. And, and we saw families come into the church because of our involvement with them. And sometimes, um, well, we, we don't, we as pastors don't do a service to the church when we paint the picture that we're the most spiritual person in the church. Like, I think everybody knows that's, that's probably not the case. I mean, we've, we've got gray haired saints that have walked with God and trusted God. And so anyway, so that's not what we're called to be. So there, there have been times when I, I have felt like, I could really grow this church if I was anybody but the pastor. And then also thought I could really be spiritual here in this church if I wasn't the pastor, which sounds really bonkers and wrongheaded. But, but honestly, that's a place that I have come to in some days because of the season of life, because of what the day-to-day tasks are. I, this does not feel very spiritual at all. And I don't feel very spiritual at all. And I came across a writer. She's Catholic. She's a, um, she's a Benedictine sister up in Erie, Pennsylvania. And her name's Joan uh, Chittister, written several books that I found very helpful. And one of them, she, she spoke about seasons of life. And she said, God doesn't call you to be spiritual somewhere else. And God doesn't call you to be a Christian somewhere else. In your station of life, in the place where you are now, God wants you to be spiritual here. So one of the things that that means is when my girls were in diapers, which now they're they're teenagers and would really appreciate that reference, um, that that spirituality is going to look very different than a spiritual spirituality with no kids. I have to be spiritual as a dad that's not getting much sleep at night and and in the kind of work that I'm doing with the family I'm doing with the church that I'm serving, I have to be spiritual here. And what really helped me was it helped me to stop looking around and go, well, if I had their life, I could really be spiritual. Well, if I was instead of the pastoral kind of life of being on call 24 seven, 365, which is not healthy. And that's, that's not a realistic expectation anyway for those pastors that are listening, but it's a different rhythm of life instead of looking at somebody else who has kind of an hourly work rhythm with more defined kinds of time off or time on and to look at them with jealousy and go, well, I could really be spiritual if I was them, but I can't be spiritual. Well, that's, that's a cop out. And, and to look at the, the station of life that I'm in with the family that I'm okay. So how do I be spiritual here? How do I be spiritual now? And that helped me a great deal. Kind of making the most of every opportunity is what the scripture says. Yes. And again, we're very vulnerable and open saying and transparent saying we don't have all the answers. Uh, matter of fact, most of the times we're trying to figure out our own families, um, which is the hardest to serve at times. But that's what we're called first. We can do a thousand weddings where we say, make sure you keep God first in your relationship and everything will go great. Well, we need to constantly preach that to ourselves. Next, make sure you keep your spouse right under God. We could preach that to ourselves a thousand times because then it's the kids and then it's 
your church and everybody else. We often, we can preach that all we want, but if we don't display that, which is very tough to keep that order, we 100% believe that order. I know I do. God, your wife, your kids, and then everybody else. But unless we show God, our kids, or God's, excuse me, God, our wife, and then our kids, we can't really serve everybody else as well. And this is something we're never going to get really completely right. We struggle with all the time. and um, But we do encourage that system of approach. And that's why we, we talk about humility and we talk about repentance. And that has to be lived out in the context of any married relationship. Humility and repentance has to be lived out in the context of every parent-child relationship. Humility and repentance got to be a part of every pastor-church relationship. The, the realization that somebody may have some truth that they need to speak into my life, that's a little bit harder for me to swallow than the fact that I may have some truth that I need to speak in their life. Well, yeah, the pastor, that's what you do. Yeah, but it goes a lot better if, if I'm open to receive um, truth from places where I might not have you know, expected it to come. And as we continue to work t- together in, in ministry, I, I know that I will never be a spot again in my life where I just work with one church. Um, I will always be looking around and, and being encouraged by others uh, from other churches. And, um, and as we close our time here together, I'll give you a second to think about this, Caleb, but uh, any uh, type of encouragement or just uh, to encourage people in the season they're in today, encourage that unity. I know I will say, while well, he's thinking about that for a second, I know that it is what excites me. Probably when I struggle, because at times the home church can get needy, and so can I for them. I'll be honest with you. It works both ways, and they have been extremely gracious to me. Um, never be able to thank them enough for what Zenus has done with me and for me. Because they've given me, given me that room. They knew when they hired me in five years ago without any seminary or any experience, I wasn't going to have a bunch more wisdom than the, I don't know, what do you call them, gray-haired? Gray-haired saints. Uh, yeah, the gray-haired saints. And you I, know? Didn't, I didn't come up with that term. That's Just for the record, I really like that. Um, because it's very true. It says wisdom. You can see wisdom sometimes. And they, they have it. But they have not been afraid to be, they're still teachable. And I have to remember, I'm still teachable. Even at the factory, when I go up to someone, I don't ever approach someone that I am going to change them or teach them everything. I approach them as, how can we have a relationship? What can I learn from them? And then so we can all work together. And in and, and long term, if I want someone to listen to me, I have to be able to listen to them. And I think that's with the same way with any relationship you're in. Um, but are you putting on your listening ear? So... To close out, the, 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 the thoughts of Caleb Reynolds. Uh, well, so these are, are not my thoughts. Our, our, um, in our denomination, we have levels of administration. And so the, um, the pastor that I report to is our district superintendent overseeing the churches from Indianapolis down through the southeast quadrant of the state. He has a podcast. He's, he's a year or two from retirement, and he's, he's podcasting. It's, it's really cool. He ends every podcast with this saying. Uh, it's a leadership podcast. He says, my leadership friend, 
you are doing better than you think you are, you really are. And that's helped me a lot because we can be our own worst critic. We hear those voices of criticism from the outside and from the in, inside our own kind of heads. We hear those voices a lot louder than we hear the voices of encouragement saying, keep at it. You know, this is, this is, you're doing better than you think you're doing has helped me quite a lot over these past months. And so I would, I would offer that as a closing thought. Whoever's listening to this, you may not have heard that today, but you are doing better than you think you are. You really are. So keep your chin up and keep at it. Well, that's great. That's a great way to end it. I'm going to completely end it with the verse here out of Ephesians 3. And this is great, um, working with other pastors, working with other Christians, working with just other people in general. Verse 6 says, and this, this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews, that means everybody, who believe the good news share equally in the riches and riches inherited by God's children. That means it doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're uh, the lowliest worker or, or the newest believer to the oldest. You share equally um, as a God's child. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Jesus Christ. And that's the thing. If you belong to Jesus Christ, uh, know that you belong. And be excited and be a part of the body. If you don't and you'd like to, definitely hit me up and talk to someone about it. There's plenty of people that will tell you more that he's there um, as the way out and to, to love us. And But verse 7 says, by God's grace and mighty power, and this is the only way you're going to be able to be a part of the body and serve, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. So if you've struggled with spreading the good news or you don't feel like you're I guess witnessing every day or, or living as a Christian throughout the chaos know that it's a privilege because of God's grace and mighty power so rely on him today um, as Caleb says keep your head lifted up Thanks, everyone, for joining us on our podcast today. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of our future episodes. And if you know anyone else that could use some encouragement, we'd love if you would share it with them. We're all in this together. So until next time, my friends, on Courage Meant to Go.